We continue our sermon series on the authority of Jesus Christ as found in the Gospel of Matthew. We're looking at Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 through 8 today. The first verse here is probably more properly aligned with the passage that came prior to this. You'll recall last week we looked at the authority of Jesus over the demonic powers over hell. He had crossed um, the Sea of Galilee with his disciples. They were on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. Now they are returning to what is called here the, the town of Jesus, his own city, which was Capernaum. Um, and this event actually took place in Capernaum, but is not in chronological order. Uh, Luke and Mark presented in chronological order. It happens early in the ministry of Jesus Christ. In Matthew, Matthew is presenting this uh, topically. He's making a point with these various healings of Jesus uh, and emphasizing the authority of Jesus. And so he begins with the cleansing um, and has various healings and casting out of demons. And then he ends again with the subject of forgiveness and his authority to forgive sins. Again, highlighting the importance, first and foremost, of the forgiveness of sins uh, that we all need. We all need it. We do all kinds of things to remove uh, personal guilt in our lives, guilty feelings, uh, things that we know that we've done wrong. And sometimes we try to remove it by simply ignoring it or, or downplaying things that we've done in our lives that we know to be wrong. Um, Some people um, are extreme in that. We call them sociopaths or psychopaths. Uh, And one of the characteristics of a sociopath or a psychopath is their inability um, to have a conscience. Um, A key difference between a psychopath and a sociopath is whether he has a conscience, the little voice inside that lets us know When we're doing something wrong, says Michael Tompkins. He's a psychologist at the Sacramento County Mental Health Treatment Center. A psychopath does not have a conscience. If he lies to you so he can steal your money, he won't feel any moral qualms. Though he may pretend to, he may observe others and then act that way so so um, he's not found out. A sociopath typically has a conscience, but it is weak. He may know that taking your money is wrong and he might feel some guilt or remorse, but that won't stop his behavior. So the sociopath and the psychopath, not only do they cause a lot of harm, but they miss out a lot on a lot themselves because by their violation of the trust that happens when you have no uh, conscience or have little conscience, when you have no sense of personal guilt in wronging people, Um, then you break that trust and you uh, sever relationships uh, with friends and with family. We need a sense of guilt when we do wrong. And we need a way to remove that sense of guilt. And I'm not simply talking about guilty feelings. We can be uh, subjectively, we can feel guilty, but we also can be objectively guilty. You can Uh, feel guilty or not feel guilty about driving under the influence, and yet you can be declared guilty objectively in a court of law. And so guilt is detrimental, ultimately. It's detrimental for our, our relationships with each other. 
It's detrimental to our mental health. And it's primarily detrimental in our relationship with God and our own eternal destiny. You may not feel guilty before God, but you might actually be guilty before God. Jesus gave an example of that in the parable, as he was quoting in Matthew 25, 41 through 46. And he said this, then he will say, this is uh, Jesus is talking about judgment, judgment day. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me naked and you did not clothe me sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. In this instance, they had no idea that they were guilty. And Jesus said, you are guilty. And the, um, the dire consequences of that guilt is eternal judgment rather than eternal life on the basis of sin. The man in our story today came with a particular uh, need in mind. His particular need in mind was uh, his being paralyzed. He was paralyzed severely such that he needed uh, others to bring him to Jesus. And so he came expecting to be healed, um, and he knew that Jesus had the authority to do so. And yet, as wonderful as that is, right, you would, we would all say that somebody who is paralyzed can't walk, can't move around to be healed of that. That would be an incredibly wonderful thing. What Jesus gives the man is something far greater than that. That is the forgiveness of sins. There's a woman in France who was selling her home and she she wanted to make some extra money. So she brought in an auctioneer to kind of look through her home and determine what could be auctioned off for some extra money. And when he was walking through the kitchen, right over the hot plate in the kitchen was a painting. And that painting happened to be a 13th century master, and it was worth at auction $28 million. She thought she might get a little extra income uh, from going through and auctioning off her belongings, and instead what she discovered was she had something priceless. In the same way, the, the paralytic comes to Jesus wanting something from him, and what he gets is far greater. We find here that Jesus is eager to meet his greatest need for forgiveness. Matthew chapter 9, verse 2. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Now, if you look at some of the instances of healing that we've looked at before this time, it was fairly straightforward. People came to Jesus They spoke to Jesus. They said, please heal. And Jesus healed. Before Jesus, apparently before this man or his friends get a word out, Jesus immediately responds to him and says, 
Your sins are forgiven. He is eager to forgive his sins. And then when you observe the way that Jesus spoke to the man, you also see his desire to forgive him. He says, um, uh, he says, take heart, be encouraged. My son, my child, a, a, a term of endearment, your sins are forgiven. You might think that I've done this or I've done that or I've life series of events, things that I've done in my life that I'm ashamed of, uh, that I can't do anything about. I can't uh, change uh, either the, the guilt, the penalty of what I've done. Uh, I can't change my guilty feelings subjectively. And our passage today says that Jesus has the authority to forgive and is eager to forgive you. I was uh, traveling, as I've mentioned before, after college and up in the mountains working at a camp and hunting camp. And there was a cook there and he had related to me um, over my time there uh, things that he was not very proud of that he had done in his life. uh, One after the next, after the next, after the next. And I began to speak to him about how Jesus came for that very purpose to pay the penalty for the things that he had done wrong. If he was willing to admit his sin and come to him uh, for forgiveness. And his response to that was, I'm too far gone. But I want to tell you, none of you are too far gone. Uh, Whatever you've done, Jesus is eager to forgive. Jesus sees the people and the paralytic and he sees the faith. He observes something about the faith of the paralytic. It's, It's not simply... A faith to heal. Uh, it's, it's a faith beyond that that is a true saving faith. In a, in a few minutes, I'm going to talk about the comparison between the way that Jesus addresses the, the man and the people that came to him in faith and the, the heart attitude of the scribes. And we know from the text that Jesus is able to peer into their heart motivation and attitude uh, in, a, in a way that is uh, beyond simply looking at the externals. He sees their faith. He says, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Because that's why Jesus came. First John 3, 5 says, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins. In First John 1, 7, we read the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. Now, how was it that Jesus was able to declare your sins are forgiven if the blood of Jesus takes away our sins and Jesus had not shed his blood on the cross? If he had not died on the cross, how could his sins have been forgiven? The Apostle Paul deals with that same question in the book of Romans. He's writing to a Roman audience, excuse me, a Jewish audience. And they're asking the question, well, if this is true, if Jesus is Messiah and I'm saved on the basis of what the Messiah has done in his life and his death and putting my faith in him, then what's the the status of of all my forefathers, all my relatives that came prior? Are they are they lost because Jesus has come now? He says in Romans chapter four, verse one, after making the declaration that every single one of us have sinned. 
He said, what then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? So he's looking back thousands of years to their ancestor Abraham as an example. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And later in the chapter, verse 23, he says, But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but also for ours. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's argument was that the Apostle Paul had faith It was a faith that anticipated the coming propitiation. That is a big word that means the the wrath of God that was averted from uh, our sins and from us and placed upon Jesus, the sacrifice who took our guilt and bore it. And so his displeasure has been removed from us. And now we have reconciliation, a God who delights in us. And and just as those in the Old Testament looked forward to the time of Christ, we look back to his sacrifice. The sins that were committed beforehand, God did not uh, bring into account and and waited for the time of Christ, which those sins were accounted for on the cross. And so Jesus saw their what? He saw their faith. And as I said, it wasn't just a faith for healing. Uh, It was this kind of quality of faith that Abraham their forefather had had. Uh, He says to the, um, in response to the the scribes, the religious leaders in verse 3 say, this man is blaspheming. Well, why? Because Jesus said, your sins are forgiven and only God can forgive sins. And so they said he is blaspheming. Now, note how Jesus responds to them. He doesn't say, you know, guys, I can appreciate, I can appreciate this because you, you are coming from a theological perspective that's accurate. Only God can forgive sins. You, you're misunderstanding me here, so let me just explain it to you. Um, for your benefit, I am God, and so I can forgive sins. Uh, he doesn't go through all that. He says, he, sa- he, he says his evaluation is that their hearts... Or evil. Why do you think evil in your hearts? So just as he was able to evaluate the, the type of faith that the paralytic had, so he is able to evaluate uh, the doubt of the scribes doubting Jesus and thinking evil in their hearts. So come to Jesus in faith for forgiveness and you will receive it because Jesus has authority to forgive sins. He had authority on earth to forgive sins, we read here. And he demonstrated it by his healing. Verse 4, But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of God, the Son of Man, has authority on earth to forgive sins, he then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. 
It says specifically here that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. Now, maybe you've been told this, this neat and tidy distinction. I know I was, I was told this growing up, that, that references in the Bible to the Son of Man uh, related to Jesus highlight his humanity and the Son of God highlight his deity. Um, and the reality is that the, that's not that simple. We have, for instance, in the Old Testament, uh, the prophet Ezekiel is referred to as Son of Man. In other words, he's a man. But here, Jesus is speaking in reference to the Son of Man, which was a prophecy about the Messiah that was to come. And we learn of the nature of this Messiah in this vision that is communicated to us in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days, and he was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass, to pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. The Son of Man appears before the Ancient of Days. Jesus, the second person, the Son of Man, the second person of the Trinity, appears before God the Father, the Ancient of Days, in this scene, and he is given authority, just as we've been learning in Matthew. He's been given authority over the nations, and here... He has been given authority to forgive sins. He declares it, not just in heaven, but the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Jesus will come to judge, and Jesus can forgive. He is, in effect, in this exchange here saying, I am the Messiah, and I have come with authority on earth to forgive sins. D.A. Carson of this passage said, In the forgiving of the paralytic, the kingdom of David's son, who came to save his people from their sins, has dawned. The future judge has come on earth with the authority to forgive sin. This is the authority of Emmanuel, God with us, sent to save his people from their sins. And so he demonstrated his authority to forgive sins by his authority to heal And he says in verse 5, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or say rise, walk. Well, which is it? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven, rise, walk. On one level, both are pretty much easy to say. There's, you know, not much difficulty in saying either of those things. On another another way of looking at it, well, um, words are cheap. Anybody can say your sins are forgiven. But uh, actions speak louder than words. So that's one way of looking at it. His, his healing uh, shows, demonstrates his authority in other areas. But looking at it in another way, it's far more difficult to forgive sins than to heal. As difficult as healing is, because only God can forgive sins. For Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins was difficult. It was difficult personally. Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane, it said that he uh, in agony sweated as it were great drops of blood, that he was, um, he was convicted 
uh, unjustly. He was uh, whipped and was beaten and was mocked with the crown of thorns placed upon his head, that he was uh, humiliated uh, naked on the cross uh, where he suffered and agonized. And he did it for the forgiveness of your sins. That's why he came. Jesus came for the forgiveness of sins, and he accomplished it in his sacrificial death on the cross for you. Muslims will say that God has the authority to forgive sins. He can just forgive sins. There's no need for any sacrifice. The Bible says God is a just God, and God must punish sin. And so a sacrifice had to be made. Justice must be paid if you are not going to bear the penalty for it. The author of Hebrews, looking back to the Old Testament signs of sacrifice that pointed to the once and for all sacrifice in Jesus Christ, says, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure There is a payment for sin that has been made once and for all by Jesus Christ. Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. In Ephesians 5, 2, it says, Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Why did Jesus die? He died for his father. In obedience to him, but it says here, he gave himself up for us because he loved us. So be encouraged. Come to Jesus Christ in faith. He has died for your sins. And notice when Jesus, uh, when Jesus is responding to the paralytic and the paralytic here in the text, um, it, it's, it, you might imagine if the faith of the paralytic was simply a faith in his ability to heal, Uh, He could have said something like this when Jesus said initially right out of the gate, your sins are forgiven. That's all well and good, Jesus. That's just great. Uh, But what I'm really here for is healing. So honestly, I don't need no stinking savior for my sins. Just heal me if you would, and I will be on my way. No, that wasn't the heart of the paralytic. Now, I'm about to give an illustration of the contrary of what we're seeing in the text. It happens to be somebody that I guess is a politician, and I want to be very careful in our, um, our very divided uh, society at this point um, that is often heated in discussion of politics. It's not, this is not a political judgment. It is, a, it is an example of somebody and how they need to understand their need to come to Christ. It's Michael Bloomberg. Michael Bloomberg was speaking to the New York Times in 2014 in in an article. He's referring uh, here to his philanthropy uh, in action. And he said, I'm telling you, if there is a God, when I get to heaven, I'm not stopping to be interviewed. I'm heading straight in. I have earned my place in heaven. It's not even close. Now, interestingly enough, you might think this is kind of a one-off, you know, uh, thing. Maybe he really didn't think that. But in 2017, there is a 60 Minutes interview where he said almost word for word exactly the same thing. 
People sometimes say that religion is a crutch. Well, Christianity is not a crutch. Uh, Faith in Christ is a stretcher. It's a stretcher on which you are hauled up and brought to Jesus with the assistance of others. That is the only way that we will experience the forgiveness of sins, as we come understanding that we cannot save ourselves, that we do have guilt before God. Jesus encourages you and encourages me if we would come to him to understand in faith that he will forgive our sins. And he has purchased that forgiveness at great cost. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Jesus is eager to pronounce forgiveness to those who come in repentance and faith. So be encouraged. Know that you are or you can be reconciled to God, that you're delighted in by God. Jesus took the wrath of God so that you would not have to. And that you would be delighted in by God. Not simply just accepted, but delighted in. So you don't have to pr- pretend anymore. Run to Jesus. Run to him in repentance of, in faith. If you, if you say, well, I'm not really particularly grieved over sin in my life. That's a problem. You need to be grieved over the sin in your life. And come to him in repentance. And turn to Jesus and receive forgiveness. And hear Jesus saying, take heart, my son. Take heart, my daughter, your sins are forgiven. So come. Come like the paralyzed man came. Come to Jesus, just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee. O Lamb of God, I come, I come, just as I am, poor, wretched, blind, sight, riches, healing of the mind, Yea, all I need in thee I find, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. And so let's sing of that now, that we would come to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and hear him say, take heart, your sins are forgiven. Let's stand and sing together.